Hello and welcome to the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. The Local Leaders Podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories, their experiences, their advice, and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives. Get ready. Another great show is coming up. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z. Johnson, and uh, happy to be here today and to bring you Tony D. Donato. And I know I didn't say that right, but I just wanted to I got it right. I got it right. right. Well, I was going to run that D Donato together a little bit more, but uh, I was trying to over-pronunciate. But uh, Tony uh, is with us today, and we're so excited because uh, he brings with him a just a ton of uh, restaurant experience um, that we're going to talk about today, uh, from consulting all the way up through ownership. Uh, currently, in addition to all that he does, Tony owns um, Luca Restaurante. And uh, Tony, welcome to the show. I, I'm gonna quit babbling and say hello. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, we are we are as I said, I'm really excited to have you on today, and uh, looking forward to to sharing you with our listeners, and um, hoping to to get some of that expertise uh, that that you've been through and all all your experience out to our people. So, if you wouldn't mind, can you can you just kind of give our listeners a little feel for for your background and what you've done, and uh, all the way up from you know in the past, all the way up to Luca. Okay. Um, you know, I w- I've been in the restaurant industry all my life. Um, growing up, family members had restaurants, so I kind of cut my teeth in this. It's something that uh, I've always enjoyed. I've always been in. And as I got further into adulthood, what I realized is everybody can own a restaurant and most people can be somewhat successful, but most restaurant owners don't have that solid financial accounting background. So that's where I started consulting. Um, you know, everybody goes out to eat and drink and you can, you know, you can almost fall into a successful restaurant, but what's the difference between a successful restaurant and a a very successful restaurant that's going to set you up, you know, for generational wealth or or for, for generations to come. And that's where, you know, the numbers come in, looking at the inventory, looking at, you know, manuals, how you run your restaurant. I've always said this industry is the death of a thousand paper cut. We may look at one little area that we bleed revenue and say, oh, that's okay. You know, overall, we're still profitable. But if we get enough of those paper cuts, eventually we're out, we're out of blood. And, and that's where the, the restaurant consulting background came into play. I do food inventory. I do uh, alcohol inventory for my clients, help them with science of designing menus, cross-utilization of product, and, uh, you know, help them train their, their managers, their leaders, and uh, anything that they need inside a restaurant wall, I'm there to help. I don't claim to know it all, but there's, there, there's, you know, you get enough heads in a room to sit down and kind of talk through an issue. There's, there's usually a good way to come out of, to fix the solution. Yeah. And, and, you know, in talking to you and, and getting a chance to meet you back in December, when we first chatted, um, you know, that's the, the consulting business is kind of what got you into the ownership business. So you want to, you want to mention kind of how you evolved into owning a, a restaurant? Yeah, I've always, um, you know, I've always wanted to get back into owning a restaurant and uh, I was consulting for Luca and, uh, it, you know, it was a three person partnership, very, very successful restaurant. Um, they had had 22 years of success behind them and it was just time for them to pass the torch along 
And uh, being here and seeing this place, I just fell in love with it. The day I walked in the door, I fell in love with it. And the opportunity afforded itself for me in April of 2019 to purchase Luca and to take Luca to that next level. Wow, April 2019. So you got it just before COVID hit us. And uh, I'm sure that was exciting. <laughs> it was. We had eight months. Um, we were really starting to ramp up the growth, sort of change things a little bit. And then COVID hit. And, you know, it took me a couple of days to figure out, you know, I, originally I believed what everyone else believed. This is going to be a week or two to flatten the curve and we'll be back to, you know, doing restaurant business. And as things progressed, it, it really took me to set down and, and, you know, we're upscale dining. So there's some preconceived notions in our industry of what you are and aren't allowed to do. You know, pre-COVID, I would have probably been a very close-minded businessman when, when you know, the, the delivery apps kept calling and sending emails. I was like, no, that's, that doesn't meet what we're trying to do here. I'm, I'm okay. Thank you for reaching out. But as the pandemic, you start really looking outside the box and really looking at, you know, this, you know, I have 17 families that eat out of here. I'm, you know, every decision and everything I make affects other families. And that's when we really decided to start looking at, you know, let's, let's take the preconceived notions of how a restaurant operates. How can we do it more efficient? How can we do it better? And what can we do that we haven't done in the past? And uh, it, it's worked really well for us. By, by getting on the delivery apps, it opened us up to a market that would have never been, you know, I would have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to market in the Pittsburgh market to get to some of the people that, you know, these delivery apps took me to. Because these were people that had a preconceived notion of what we were. Oh, they're stuffy Italian, white tablecloth. But then, you know, as the pandemic grew on, people got tired of the same fare. And they said, you know what, it's our anniversary. We want to have a nicer meal. And so that that afforded us the opportunity to really reach out into the community and and get more customers that we would have probably not had in the past. And it worked really well for us. That that that's a great point. And I never really thought about that either, Tony, about how you might reach a different segment of the market that that you weren't reaching before. Um, but you just explained that beautifully. And uh, would it, I would have never thought that coming in. So nice job with it. Um, did you have to make you know, a lot of changes, you know, to be able to go go with that off-premise type of meal? Did you have to change the menu, technology? We did not. We did not. So uh, we, yeah. you know, we we looked at some packaging things, you know, we, you know, and we made some mistakes at the beginning, you know, certain things that we would put together, sauces and things that we would serve to you that you're going to consume it within five minutes. We had, to, we had to look at the feedback, really evaluate. Some people would say, you know, the salad was soggy by the time it got here. And I'm thinking, well, it's not that way in the house. But then when you realize that by the time, you know, it's picked up by a driver, it's delivered to the house, you know, they get everybody settled down at the dinner table. Yeah, it, it did set in the dressing for 45 minutes. So we changed some packaging and, and looked at, you know, how do we get our product with the same integrity that you would eat it in our restaurant to your door? We made some minimal changes and we're able to successfully do that. Um, you know, and it, it was a brilliant, it was, you know, I, I don't want to say brilliant, but it was a great marketing because, you know, it's tough as a business owner to decide where to put your marketing dollars. Do you put a billboard? Do you put your name on the back of a bus? You know, really all, you know, if you print advertising, really, you're just throwing money at the wall and you're seeing what return that has or what sticks to the wall. But that became a predictable model because, you know, the, the delivery apps have taken some heat through this of, you know, you know, the percentage that they take from restaurants. But what they're doing is essentially is they're a marketing arm for you. And it's a guaranteed return on investment. You're not paying a dollar unless they're bringing you revenue that you can generate. So what that does is that allows you to look at your menu, 
and it allows you to say, okay, you know, this is what our profit margin is going to be. This is how much of this menu item is going to advertising. And is that something that fits our business model? And it was something that when you looked at it, the percentage that they take to have guaranteed business in your door, it, it was a predictable model and we were able to be very successful with it. Yeah, well, that's a great way of looking at it. And you're right, the, the delivery services have taken a lot of heat. And, um, you know, I like your, I like the way that you're kind of look, you look at them as a marketing arm and uh, an extension of your marketing department, you know, for lack of a better word. And, um, you know, there's cost to marketing. So rather than throwing at a billboard, billboards, you throw it at, at uh, you know, uh, an opportunity to bring in new diners who you wouldn't have reached in the, in, you know, previously uh, without them. So good point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Hey, what is, uh, so, so give us a little more flavor on, on Luca. I want to make sure we get a, a good, good little promotion out there for, for the restaurant itself. Tell us a little about it, the cuisine, the, the atmosphere, all that kind of good stuff. Luca is an Italian restaurant. We make all pasta in-house daily. We have a Arcobolino pasta extruder, um, two simple ingredients, water and semolina. It doesn't get any more clean than that. Everything's scratch. We, we get produce fresh daily every other day. We don't like to buy anything pre-bought, pre-done, lots of preservatives. We like to, we like to take the control of everything in our house. Um, everything is pan-made when you order it. So if you order a chicken Alfredo, that piece of chicken sauteed in the pan, you know, the Alfredo sauce is built on top of it. It's going in the oven to finish off. Fresh pasta is dropped in the water. That is built for you. We're not scooping, you know, out of a big vat of, of Alfredo sauce that we've made previously. Everything is scratch made in a pan for you. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome. It makes me hungry just thinking about it. Uh, love pasta. It's one of my favorite dishes. And, uh, you know, for everybody out there who's had the chance and opportunity to, to dine with you guys, um, that's great for them. But for those who haven't, you know, make sure that, that you check them out and, uh, and, and go join them for dinner. And for those that are listening and not viewing, uh, you're not able to see the, the website. So I'm just going to uh, read it out one time, but it's www. Luca, L-U-C-C-A-R-I-S-T-O-R-A-N-T-E.com. Um, go check them out online as well and, and learn, you know, what you can about them. Um, and be sure to, to call them up, make an appointment, make an appointment, uh, make a reservation and get out there and enjoy a, uh, a meal with these guys, with Tony and his team. Um, so you've had the restaurant now since, since 2018. You got through the, the, the changes, you know, that kind of the COVID has brought about. Um, and what, what's next at, at Luca? Are you guys, are, are you looking to expand that concept? Or are you just going to uh, hang with that and, and maybe look at some other, other concepts down the road? We are. We, um, I, do, I have some select markets that I've been looking for to take the Luca concept to. In the short term, another opportunity has come about. And uh, we're going to jump on that. We're going to have a second location, a little different than Luca. Um, we're finalizing some details on that, but hopefully within 10 weeks, we'll, we'll have another location open and uh, we're going to have some fun with that. And then as we catch our breath and get that stable and working, we're looking to, to put Luca into a couple other markets. That's awesome. And, and you, will you maintain ownership or are you looking at franchising, yeah. you know, that brand? I will maintain ownership. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. At this point, we've we've proven the concept. Um, we were one of the very fortunate restaurants that were able to almost double our sales during COVID. 
Um, you know, I didn't have, I had eight months sample size pre COVID of, you know, what the restaurant was doing. It was on a solid growth track. It sort of stumbled a little bit as COVID hit because the whole world was figuring things out. You know, we were all, we weren't sure how long, what, what it looked like. We took eight weeks, we remodeled Luca. And then, you know, part of our success during COVID was the ability, you know, I called it the light switch. And, and, and I think every city handled it the same way. It was, you know, cases are ramping up. They turn the light switch off. Restaurants have to close down. We were able then to, you know, rely on that, you know, to go take out delivery app business. But then when they would turn that light switch on, we were ready that next day. You know, we would maybe increase prep a little bit, but we were able to open up for in-house. And there were a lot of restaurants that didn't adapt to that well. So, you know, I've always said that dining out is a, is a habit and a pattern. You probably have, you know, certain places in your community that you know that you go get burger and fries and a beer, you know where you go get a steak. But when those avenues are not there and a lot of places didn't stay open Monday, Tuesday, a lot of them didn't stay open for lunch, people looked for other opportunities and we were there to capitalize on that. So being flexible and fluid through that was, was a big key to our success. That's, that's awesome. I, I, again, great, uh, great li- words of wisdom. Uh, Tony, I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. I, I, I know they do as well. And, you know, I'd love to ask you with, with all the experience and, and things that you bring to the table, you've got a great resume and, and had a lot of success over the years, not only for yourself with Luca, but with you know countless other restaurants uh, through consulting days. Um, how would you, what would you tell uh, and I'm thinking about independent operators. Maybe they've got that single unit location. They're thinking maybe it's time to expand. Number one, how do you know when the time has come to grow? Uh, and then kind of what are the steps you might take to, to start that ball rolling? Two things, capitalization. Um, if, if your first location is to the point where you're able to have a general manager and someone run the kitchen and you're still able to make a living out of that, then it's, you can start to look at expanding. Um, one of the big things as owners, we tend to be two ways. We're either super hands-on and we don't want to give control to anybody or we're super hands-off. We give too much control to people that necessarily shouldn't have it. And there's no that middle ground. So when you expand, you still have to give, you still have to take care of that baby. I say, you know, a restaurant's like an infant. For the first three to four years, we're hugging it, we're coddling it, we're feeding it. Eventually it starts to get, starts walking and we have to let it sort of make some mistakes on its own. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have to be able to still be hands-on, still continue our brand in the first location before we can ever start a second location. And if you don't have the capitalization, because if that new concept's slow to come out of the gate, you still have to make a living and you still need that first restaurant to be able to sort of help seed that and support that second location. And if you're financially able to do that, that's the first step. Second step is location. I truly believe location, location, location with restaurants. You can have the greatest concept, but if you're in a, if you don't know the market demographic and you know what this market embraces Luca and loves Luca, but if I'm not careful where I move that second Luca location to, the second Luca will be a failure. And, and so from a, a research standpoint, how do you go about figuring that out? Um, when you're looking at all these different, Hey, I want to go to, um, you know, you're in Pittsburgh, you know, you, but now maybe you want to go to North Carolina. Now, how the heck do you do you figure out where to go? I will tell you that most postal services will give you the information that you need. The postal service 
has a very good database of median income, transit, like how many people are moving into the area, did the area grow, did the area decrease, because they do a direct mailer program. So you can go to the post office and get master lists of, you know, six, seven, eight block radiuses. What are the median income? What is the age range? Things like that, because you know from being successful in one location, what demographic really embraces your concept, where, and you want to move that to a second location that has that same demographic or a demographic that's capable of, um, you know, or with being a scratch kitchen and things like that, our price tag's a little higher. So if I move my location into a lower median income, it's not going to be successful because we're going to be what I call destination place. They're going to come on birthdays, holidays, things like that. What you want to do is create that business model that they're coming out once, twice, three times a month for a meal. You're in that rotation. You're in their habit. If they want Italian, they think Luca. Love that. that that's great advice. I never, never really actually even thought about the post office these days as, as a, uh, a data tool like that, but you're exactly right. You've got to You've got to hone in on and know exactly what your demo is. And, and then it's not so hard to go out and find locations where it would fit. Um, and then, then, of course, it's a matter of, of finding, you know, that actual right spot within that area, um, which is, you know, a, a, another challenge. Um, although today with um, landlords having some extra space, it, it's really not a bad time uh, to seek that expansion. Uh, any advice on uh, securing that building or leases or any of that kind of stuff? Do you go? Do you get dig deeply into that as part of your your background? I do. I believe there's a successful model for restaurants. We need to run a thirty percent labor cost, thirty percent food and beverage cost, a ten percent lease or rent or cost of building to what your sales are. So if you're going to open a new location, you should have you do your demographics. You figure that out. You figure out. You know, within the first six months, this is kind of the restaurant revenue we're going to have. Yeah. You should peak about two years. You should kind of level out and know what kind that is. So you want to start looking at a place that you, that allow you a little bit of growth, but you don't get so large of stars in your eyes that you're paying rent that you can't afford for six to seven years. So you want to stay in that 10% model. So if you manage 30% food, 30% labor, 10% lease or, or cost of building, then there's that 20% maintenance. Maintenance is, you know, various things, paper supplies, uh, you know, ice cleaning, things like that. There's, there's a myriad in that. If you follow that model as an owner, you should have a 10% net profit to your bottom line. And so when you start to look at locations and leases and things like that, especially now, um, there's a lot of places that have left. They've defaulted on their rent. There's building owners that are looking to put people in. They understand the impact COVID's had on our industry. And they're willing to do what we call a balloon. So maybe for the first three to four months, the rent's lower. Then it gradually increases until it gets to that point where you are paying the full market rent per square footage that they're looking for. And some, some you know, building owners are willing to help you be successful because you're going to sign a 10-year lease. Some of them want to recoup that money on the tail end. So maybe the last two years, you're paying a little more than market rent to make up for that first couple you know, months or years that you were lower so you could get your foot underneath you. But there, there's never be afraid to ask. Um, you know what your business model can afford. And if you truly believe it's the right location and you can pitch that to a building owner, the building owner should buy that because they want to tenant for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Yeah. You know, they want you to be successful because then the check comes at the first of every month for their lease because that's their business. 
is, you know, to capitalize on that building. Yours is to be able to build a business model that's sustainable. So the first of the month, you, you're happy to cut that check and send that check off to the leasing agents. Yeah, great, great point. And, um, I've, um, you know, the, the numbers are, are awesome. And, you know, I'll, I've often asked, and I ask a lot of restaurant owners kind of what their margins look like and, you know, their prime cost, et cetera. And, you know, I know what you read is, you know, 10%, Profit is is kind of the the place to be, and do you still think that's that's the norm even since COVID with food costs where they are and labor costs going up? Is that still achievable? Unfortunately, it wasn't pre-COVID wasn't a realistic number um, for a lot of independents. Corporates, yes, independents, some of them they're they're going in debt three to four to five years, you know, tapping into to equity to to second mortgages on their home. And that's the thing. This is a great business and it's, it's the business of entertaining. We love to be that guy that when your friend comes in, you buy him a beer, you buy him a steak. But ultimately at the end of the day, it is a business and it needs to be profitable or it's not worth it. Because I always say you either own a restaurant or the restaurant owns you. And you don't want to get to that point where the restaurant owns you and it's putting you into a financial strain. But we had to, we had to take some hard looks at some of the menu items we had, scallops, crab meat, off our menu. Those were staple menu items for 20 years. And when we identified one that we were having trouble sourcing them, and when you could, the prices were three to four times what we were normally you know, used to paying. I looked at it and I said, I'm not sacrificing my margin. So can I put a product out that my guest is going to accept and at that price point? And there were a lot of menu items that we said, no, we don't feel or we don't feel as a company that we... We feel comfortable charging our customers what needs to be charged based on what we're paying. So we took them off the menu. We just, you know, we'll revisit them as the market stabilizes if it ever does. But, you know, you have to make some hard decisions. And that's why I always say look out of the box. You know, it was a tough decision for knowing that there was a capasante dish, scallop dish on our menu for 22 years and COVID took it off. Yeah. But I couldn't make any money off of it. And, you know, to have it for sake of saying for, for history's sake, it just, it wasn't a smart business decision. You know, we've looked at, we've looked at items that are more easily sourceable. You know, we're incorporating a lot more things into our menu that we wouldn't have before, more simpler dishes and things like that, because what is available right now? Yeah, great, great point. And, and I want to ask you this. I've never asked this question before, but, but I, I think you, you're probably the right person to ask it to. And um, let's say I'm, I'm thinking of getting into the restaurant business. Do I want to be in the quick serve you know, more online off-premise type type business, or do I want to be in the uh, on-premise full service business? It, you know, what would you recommend? If, if you want to do both. You, you <laughs> want to have both um, because if you, if you put a complete business model, like a lot of us did pre-COVID, you know, Luca, we didn't deliver. We did very minimal takeout. We were, we were in-house, you know, we do a lot of private events. We're in the middle of universities. We're in the middle of, you know, the largest wedding venues in Pittsburgh. So we do 300 rehearsal dinners. And if I would have stayed with my core principles that we don't do delivery, we don't do takeout, we would not be here today. So you, the biggest thing is, is you need to be flexible and you need to look at every source of revenue that you can possibly have for a backup plan. Because if COVID, you know, we don't know what a year or two brings. There could be another strain of COVID that, that the government shuts us down again for six months. If you're one-sided on that and you're not able to, you know, open that up, you might be six weeks behind me because we're at the point where we're set up with all the, the delivery apps. We yeah. have all the QR codes. If, if that comes, we just switch our focus and our business model 
We don't have diners sitting in our restaurant. Now we need to put all of our energy and attention over here. Yeah. But if you don't have sort of both, you're going to be in trouble. So, so the QSR only concept, you know, may not be the best as well, because then you don't have the opportunity, um, you know, to bring people in and have, have full service dine in. So, uh, um, but as you guys did, you can make the transition as a full service restaurant um, by modifying your menu and, and looking at packaging and kind of figuring out what the, what the right items are. Uh, you can go in that direction really easily and have, you know, what do you, what do you think a 50, 50 revenue split on, on and off premise? Is that the goal or. Yeah. I mean, you know, you build a team, you build a restaurant concept and, you know, I'm not, you know, there were times this summer where, and that's where the, the brick and mortar is what we call it, where people are in dining. We saw record numbers over the summer because people were quarantined for a very long time. Yeah. Everybody really good out. They did, and they wanted to spend money. So this summer, people were dining out in, in record numbers. And then as the cold weather hit, we saw more people scale back from that because they knew the holidays were coming and things like that. And, you know, you know, not that the media is good or bad, but the media does, you know, impact your business and you have no control over it because yeah. they tell people that there's going to be a spike in COVID after the holidays so everybody pairs back they don't want to go out so you know you need to have that flexibility you need to be in tune with what's going on and be able to adapt to that and be able to go with that i will say you know quick service versus in-house dining you know if you're an operator and you have you know maybe some restaurant experience or limited restaurant experience you have to ask yourself what is in your skill set what are you capable of if you're going to go into a more upscale dining, you're always going to be over the barrel with a chef. You're always going to need a second person to help you because you're going to have a learning curve. And that learning curve, I still learn. I've been in this business every day and I learn something new every day. But if I wasn't able to hop in that kitchen and execute the menu, then there's sometimes personnel decisions that I'm not able to make because I can't physically do that. And that was one of the things that kept us afloat was through all of this, you know, turmoil with the labor force, if somebody doesn't show up to work, I'm the person that fills that gap. And sometimes like this weekend, I was dishwasher and cook this weekend because we were short too, but the business still generated revenue. We did not skip a beat. And there's been many times over this, this year, I said, we were the busiest we ever were. And our labor was the lowest it ever was because you'd go weeks sometimes where you couldn't fill a position in the restaurant. So as the owner, you have to ask what your skill set is and what you're capable of to keep that business afloat. So if quick service casual is more something, and that, that usually tends to be easier for somebody that doesn't have a lot of cooking experience and background, then I would say go with that model. Um, if you've been in the kitchen and you, know, you have some formal culinary training, as long as you're able to do every job in your building, then you're, capable, you're safe and capable of opening that concept. Well, I'm, I'm taking notes on that because I think that's a great advice, Tony, to, to really think through what, you know, your own internal or external skill set. Um, because I'm thinking to myself, if I ever got in a business, I have no culinary skill. Uh, quick serve would be my only option because I couldn't cook anything. Um, so, you know, based on what you're saying, you know, if I had a quick serve that was making, you know, subs, you know, I could probably figure that out and learn it. Um, a the learning curve is much smaller. Yes, versus, sir. Yes, sir. you know, versus a pan. And, and, you know, when you're in this upscale, you know, they call them foodies and they are a very particular group. You know, you have other chefs that have a passion in this industry and they're pushing that culinary boundary every day. And you yeah. sort of got to keep up with that. But 
you know, I never want to say you don't, you know, it's it just, it's one of those business models. You never want to rely on someone else to be able to run your business because then if they have a bad attitude or poor work performance, you're in a point where you almost have to keep letting them be poor in your business because you can't step in and do that job. One of the things that, you know, has really kept us because if I've had a bad employee or a bad personnel, I'm able to make the decision that, that I know is best for my business. And I step into that role until I find that other person. And, and by doing that, I'm also able to set the, the boundaries and, and, you know, the expectations. Here's where the bar is at. Here's what I do. Here's what I expect you to do coming in the door. And so always within your skill set. Yeah, it makes makes uh, perfect sense. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of great advice. I know there's just ton, tons more things out there, you know, in, in your brain and uh, all the different uh, situations and experiences that, that you've run into. Um, let me just touch on, um, you know, on the, on the staffing piece, you know, uh, any words of wisdom, particular advice uh, for, you know, trying to staff and fill these positions, which you just mentioned, uh, you've had to feel for yourself. Uh, what are you doing in today's environment to, to try to uh, keep a full staff on? Um, how do I say that? It's almost impossible sometimes to do it. And you realize that, you know, we as owners, we expect people to, to care as much as we do. And it's not their business and they're not going to. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, we always paid well. Um, but we've increased it. And, and what I found is that there's no amount of money you can throw at the problem that is going to fix it. Um, what you have to do is you have to look internally a lot of the times and say, how can we streamline a process? For instance, menu. We used to have a myriad of sides. You know, salmon would have these two sides. You know, filet would have these two, three sides. What we did is we condensed that. We went more traditional. You know, we went down to six sides, seasonal veggie. A lot less prep, a lot less man time to do it. So if we're going to prep something, you know, we can spend an hour or two, prep a large amount of it for the day versus have nine or 10 other things to do. Um, you know, you have to identify what, what culture you want to set in your restaurant. You have to make it a positive work environment. Um, but, you know, it, it's a war of attrition. You're going to bring people into your building. They're not going to be a fit. And that's okay. Not everybody's a fit for each culture. But my number one and number two things is never settle for less than what you want for your business. It's your name on the line. And number two, be realistic. Be realistic that that next guy you hire, I know you're excited that you finally have filled that position, but that might not be the person. They might last two days. They might last three weeks. Yeah. But you just have to keep plugging along and grinding and, you know, you'll find the right personnel. The biggest thing is internally identifying what you can do to make a positive work environment. So when you do find the right people, you don't lose them. Great point. Great point. And, and we had that conversation prior to our starting recording about the war of attrition and you got to go through 10 to get one. And, um, you know, and, and I think everything you said makes sense. So you want to, you want to get as lean as you can in your processes, kind of like lean manufacturing goes um, to, uh, to simplify and, and make things easier. And you just want to uh, go find those right people. And then once you get them, you got to keep them. Um, so great, great advice. Um, I'm just looking at my clock. I want to be cognizant of our time uh, and make sure I don't, uh, I don't keep you longer than I promised. Uh, but I would love to ask you, because we do have a lot of listeners who um, are, you know, we talked earlier, we kind of touched on it when we, we talked about independent owners who are looking to uh, expand their business. One of the, one of the things that they've got to do to expand it is to 
you know, get their operational uh, process and procedures and SOPs in place. Uh, what advice would you give them for kind of finding a way to get that done? Would you bring in outside help? Is it something they need to do themselves? Uh, how do they kind of get ready to grow? I always say do it yourself. Spend a month in your kitchen. Do every job two to three days. Because as an owner, there's going to be certain things that you don't want to skimp on time or quality or anything like that. Take notes. Then you spend a month working through all the positions. You know, there's a TV show that where CEOs go and, you know, they, they get in, the, you know, they come down to the, you know, that employee level. Yeah. Do that. Make notes. Figure out why, do, you know, ask questions. Ask your team. Why do we do it this way? Don't say, you know, I want to do it this way. Why, why do we do it this way? They may have, you know, experiences or pains that it will tell you, hey, you know, nine times out of 10, it'll work this way. But that one time it's catastrophic. So we sort of have a mechanism in place. At the end of it, sit down with your trusted team and say, these are the notes that I come up with. These, this is the way I think that, you know, we can be most efficient, and most streamlined. Do you agree with these? And if that point you have, you know, you've spent the time in there, you, you know, for your own eyes, what you saw, you've, you've conversed with your trusted leaders and you bring the best of both. And at that point, you have one location that's already running. If you replicate that or cookie cutter, as I call it, into another location, it should very well work. Yeah. yeah good. Actually, that was very simplistic, Tony. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. And, and I know exactly what show we're talking about um, when it comes to that. And, and I think that is a really, really great advice. And, and you know, find the time for those, those owners to get in there and figure it out. Uh, then sit with your team and, and I'm just recapping, but, uh, you know, work through the details. And, Sorry and, to interrupt you, Jeff. So our water bill was... $2,200 a month. And I said, man, do we go through the water? So we lost a dishwasher. I washed dishes for almost two weeks straight. Next water bill came. Water bill was cut in half. And I said, this is, this is odd. So I, I developed a policy and procedure. They're like, this is how I want it done. That water bill has never been above $1,100 since I put those policies. And would I have known to fix that if I wouldn't have done two weeks in the dish room? Absolutely not. I would have accepted that bill as that's just the cost of doing business. But what I found out, there was a lot of double washing going on. There was a lot of, you know, wasteful, you know, they're turning the, the, the faucet on, the rinse things versus the traditional three bowl wash. And we were able to cut that bill in half. That's efficient. Not only did it affect my bottom line, it's now more efficient. Now, and we have actually, we used to carry two dishwashers on a Friday and Saturday night. Now we're able to have one because that one person is more efficient, less steps. We did the same thing on our line. We want, we want, we do what we call a three point pivot in the dance. I don't want them to go far. I want everything at their reach. That makes them able to, if, if they do an extra five diners a night, that's increased revenue just by being more lean and efficient. Wow. That is, that is a great example of, uh, I mean, you saved a thousand bucks a month. Um, plus you cut, you know, you're able to cut a, a dishwasher out of the shift. I mean, there's a ton of savings there that, that we're talking about and, and operational efficiencies and, if you do that with each and all of your positions, then you've got a SOP, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and and to me, I, th I think that's one of the biggest hurdles, um, you know, for these independent owners with that single unit who are thinking I want to grow but haven't put in that work yet to be able to to have those systems and processes in place. Um, so I encourage any of our listeners out there take Tony's advice, do what he said, 
don't you don't have to bring a consultant in to help you write the operations manual. Go figure it out, sit with your team and, and get her done in 30 days. We, we, we might have to make a special segment on that one right there and, and sell that for a small fee to them. Great, great advice. Simple. It is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it actually, it was, it, it surprised me that uh, that answer was just right there in front of us. And, uh, you know, probably so many other things, uh, just kind of getting in and getting your hands dirty uh, to figure it out. Because, you know, like you said, you want to cookie cutter your business and, and you want to get it down to where everything are systems and procedures and replicatable, you know, in other markets. Um, and you've already shared about how to go to those other markets and find ones where to work. Uh, where your concept will work. So a ton of great advice. And I can't thank you enough for, for all that you shared. So uh, I'll just I'll just stop there and say thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, again, it's uh, Luca, Luca Restaurante in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm on with Tony DiDonato. Uh, Tony's the owner, tons of uh, consulting, restaurant consulting experience and, and now restaurant owner. Hey, I didn't ask you what, you know, on, on film here or whatever, uh, what was next? And then we talked about Luca. Uh, are there other concepts, other things that, that you've got going on that you want to share with us? The, the new one is not quite ink isn't dry yet, so I don't want to quite reveal that. It will definitely be a different concept. Okay. Um, we're going to go into more of a fun concept, um, but uh, that, that should be coming to Pittsburgh in the next 10 to 12 weeks as soon as the ink's dry. That, that's awesome and exciting, and I'm, I'm sure that everyone in Pittsburgh will be looking forward to another great uh, Tony uh, DiDonato venture uh, there in the Pittsburgh area, and, and I'm sure uh, it's going to be fabulous and uh, looking forward to, to seeing that come to fruition for you. And uh, again, Tony, thank you for being on today. Thank you for sharing all your insights and thoughts and advice and inspiration uh, with myself as well as our listeners. So a big thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Hey, and for all our listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.